He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Today, I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and every week hoping we do this and accomplish our goal, every week empowering you, our listeners, to knowing, doing, and impacting the world around you, being and impacting the world around you, and if I don't sound good, it's because I'm not, I'm getting over a little cold. The weather has not decided what it wanted to be. Uh, at least this week it's decided to be cold. So, I am cold. And the thing about it is, it's not getting any easier when you uh, try to get over a cold and then the weather keeps changing and you don't get over it. That's where I am today. And I tell you, it's been one one nice little ride. But we're going to try to do what we can just today in the show. And you just pray for us. Uh, and always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. As we try to make it through this show, uh, you can call in. If you want to get your thoughts, insights on the air, 2375, uh, 347-237-5230. That's the number to call. Uh, the chat line is open, so you can get on the chat line. Also, uh, the Zero page, Zero Network page on Facebook. Uh, and you know how to get in touch with us. <laughs> Follow me on Twitter at Prophesy at Pastor Renzo Neal uh, at gmail.com. It's my email if you want to get that. Anyway, we have a lot going on. We'll, we'll try to make the best that we can in this show today. Uh, it is Ash Wednesday, and Ash Wednesday is the beginning of the Lenten season. So we're going to be talking about. Uh, we're going to explain a little bit about Lent. We're going to talk about uh, committing, sacrificing, and all those other things that accompany the season. Uh, some people for the next forty days will be giving up quite a few things. You know, some people will be giving up food. Some will be giving up other stuff, you know, things, people. You know, I don't know. It's a lot. But uh, we will we will we'll talk about all of that. Um, first, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for the day. Thank you that even in the midst of this congestion, you're allowing us to do the show. We thank you for those who are listening. Thank you for those who are uh, helping us be a success. Go with us and stand by us. Let the words in our mouth. And the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. And amen again. Well, for those of you who are recovering from Mardi Gras yesterday, from Fat Tuesday, 
from all the revelry, all the excitement, we wish you well for those of you who will try to make that transition from a party to a fast. It's never been easy. Uh, I, I <clears throat> I'm talking like I've actually done it. I've, you know, I, I, I did my. I only went to Mardi Gras most because of band. You know, I was in band. I was a band director, and every school I taught at, we had, we had the, um, we marched Mardi Gras parades, and it was always fun. You know, we do as many as three, two or three in a day. So, uh, but you know, it never. Never was anything. Uh, never was anything that was you know much revelry. I just always in fun, fun, picking up bees off the floor and off the ground rather, and everything else. I enjoyed the fun of it. But there are some who you know have taken it. Those who, especially those who travel, you know, they take it, take it seriously, and they 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 go down for the party. And don't stop when the party's over. Some of them never, many of them have no idea, you know, that technically carnival, the carnival season culminating with Fat Tuesday, carnival is a religious holiday for many in the Catholic Church. And, uh, you know, it's the lead up, it is the Celebration before the Lent and the Lenten season, and so uh, most of them never care about that. They just enjoy the fun. Uh, anyway, so if you had fun during the carnival season, that's wonderful. If you are going to go into uh, the Lenten season, well, this show is for you a little bit. Of course, we're going to talk about Black history and. We're going to talk about, uh, really honestly, how this should affect you. Lent season should really affect you. But we'll see. I got a quote, I got a, uh, I got a story here about Tina Campbell. Tina Campbell is the second half of the gospel group. Mary Mary and she's got a book that will be coming out in the near future there's no specific date but the book is from what I've understood is a collection of prayers and devotions or, or what not reflections that she encountered uh, she she uh, she wrote down while she was going through an issue with her husband. If you're not aware of the story, uh, about two years ago, give or take, uh, uh, her husband revealed that he had an affair. And, of course, if you followed the television show, it talked about that. Um, but it put a lot of strain on her. It put a lot of strain on their group. And, they, uh, well, they pulled through. According to the article by Christian Today, after battling with issues with her husband's infidelity, uh, she's saying that she's using that experience to write a book to help others. And, and I, I, I got to applaud, applaud her for taking out the effort, taking the time out for the effort to, to share her story. Uh, I shared this in my church, and I, I, many other people, you know. And particularly for black Americans, for black Christians, stories are more empowering than, you know, actually studying a scripture. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a two-fold prong on that. You know, it's good and it's bad. But historically, black people have, we, you know, we've responded better spiritually, religiously to the stories than we have to the actual teaching of scriptures. It's the stories that seem to draw about bring about the, the you know the power empowerment. Uh so that's why a lot of black preachers are expository preachers. So 
know, they tell the story. When I was a kid, you know, we we were told tell the story. You know, when you're preaching, you tell the story and go on. And even when you're praying, some 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 old deacons used to pray the story. You know, but we let, we relate more to the story, and I can appreciate her for sharing her story. Now, what's interesting about this is that in the in the midst of this the article, she said that she really had a lot of challenges. She went through depression. Uh, she was having anger issues. Um, it's a lot that she experienced. And she's, as a matter of fact, the article, I'm quoting the article here, says she lived that initial reaction to find out her husband's multiple, multiple, wow, I didn't, multiple infidelities was to hurt back. And that in the heat of rage, she even tried to stab him. Wow. But that just goes to show how, um, you know, even Christians are not, they're not, um, they're not non-subjective, and I could have found a better word, but you know my brain is really all functioning all that well. <laughs> Christians are still subjective to the same issues of life that everyone else is. You don't escape just because you are quote unquote safe. And I used to, uh, at one time, I even taught that you know once you save, you know you save from everything, but that's not the truth. You don't. You're not saved to perfection. Uh, you, you know. You don't stop sinning because all of us continue to sin in one way or the other, thought, word, or deed. But you're saved to an eternal, uh, well, not just an eternal life, but you're saved from uh, the penalty of sin, which is death. You still die, physical death, but not an eternal death. And uh, but anyway. So she's going to write. She's writing a book, or publishing a book. I really want to put it, discuss in detail this, this the healing process for her. So I, I'm, I, I commend uh, Miss Campbell for doing that, and I understand they went on a fast. She and her husband, and apparently they seem to be doing well now. But that's, you know, you can understand a lot of that stress that comes from infidelity. So I'd like to hear your thoughts about that if you want to. You can send us a thought. Uh, share some of your thoughts with that in the chat room or call in if you want to. I want to play a quote real quick. I did not get a chance to do this last week. It is a quote by um, Mr. Paul Robeson. And those of you familiar with Paul Robeson, uh, you know that he was a phenomenal uh, actor, singer, um, you name it, he did it. Uh, who broke many, many barriers, racial barriers during his time, and was an outspoken uh, critic of discrimination and segregation in the South. He was forced to leave the country uh, simply because, well, I won't say forced, but uh, like many other artists in the early 20th century, early, you know, the 30s and the 40s, where their art or their talent was not appreciated in the States. They were hailed and lauded in others in, in Europe. So many people, like Josephine Baker uh, and Paul Robeson, many, many other uh, talented African Americans became more successful overseas than they ever did here in the States. And they were not appreciated in the States until um, the time of you know, civil rights. And most of them were still kind of shallow about participating. They wanted to see their people free. Um, but they were, you know, relatively, uh, they weren't disconnected. Uh, that's that's not it. But they understood uh, that the fundamental systemic uh, racism was the issue. And some of them felt that not much some of them said, you know, felt some of the things they did wouldn't matter. So we know that we're glad that they acted anyway. But I want to play this. This is Paul Robeson, and he's on television show, and he's talking about colonialism in Africa uh, as they, as some, uh, as the British and Germans pulled out, were beginning to pull out of Africa, and a lot of the African countries knew African countries were developing 
or gaining independence as it correlated with uh, the civil rights movement here in the States, and he presents his insight onto that. So let's listen to that clip real quick. How is it that, that the American Negro, who for so long has been a second-class citizen in yeah, the United still States... Still is, I'm sorry. Uh, well, how, long, how is it that he's contributed so much to American <coughs> culture? Well... Music, dance, yeah. everything you can think well, of. Well, I have to be very modest about that. I would say certainly <laughs> as we look at the African peoples in Nigeria, for example, I just got a wonderful invitation to go to Nigeria to be present at the installation at the uh, at the uh, Governor General Azikwe, an old friend, who will now and I and I had to cable him. I'm in Australia. I certainly would like to be with you, uh, but I'm out here with some good folks. But I'll get to Nigeria later. Mr. Evans, so, do you feel yeah. that Africa is to some extent an affinity for it, a home, or do you still feel America is essentially your home? How do you feel? In, with well, let me come. Yeah, I'll come to that in just a second. But to come back to it, so I would say the Africans and the American Negroes have turned out to be an extraordinarily gifted people. The great tragedy is that by not making us full-class citizens as yet in America, they may be losing I don't know how much yet. And to come back, I would say that unquestionably I am an American, born there, uh, my father slave there. Upon the backs of my people was developed the primary wealth of America, the primary wealth. You have to have accumulated wealth to start, you know, to build. Mm -hmm. You did it another way here in Australia. You, you know, you had to build your accumulated wealth too. Mm -hmm. You just came and took it. You know what I mean? And that's what they did in most of the countries. That's what you West. That's what you Europeans did. You just took it. We got to catch up with you a little bit. <laughs> and so in America. So there's a lot of America that belongs to me yet. You understand? Mm -hmm. But just like a Scottish American is proud of being from Scotland, mm -hmm. I'm proud for being African. Now, in our school books, they tried to tell me that all Africans were savages until I got to London and found most of the Africans I knew in, were going to Oxford and Cambridge and doing very well and, uh, and learned their culture. Uh, and even once had, well, somebody had the temerity after one had, had conquered the Chinese people and imposed upon them the opium trade and everything else to suggest that they were a backward people, just the people who had been civilized so long over the rest of you folks didn't make any sense at all. So somewhere uh, it was wonderful to find about the colored peoples of the world that they were very advanced. So I would say today that I'm an American who is infinitely prouder to be of African descent, no question about it, no question about it. I'm an Afro-American, and I don't use the word American ever loosely again. Now, this was, the, right. feeling, this was the feeling That's uh, right. that, that when you were in London about 1937, 38, you really had the world at your feet then. I mean, you were a tremendous success, you were recognized over the world, and yet you went back to America. Was this, right. this was the feeling that took you back. I it? felt I had to go back to my people. That's right. The, go, the going was tough. Mm -hmm. And uh, today I can go back. I just had my passport renewed. I could go back to pretty tough times now. Mm -hmm. But any time I could get a telegram next week that the Negro people had gathered somewhere in one of their conferences as they could mm -hmm. and say, Paul, in the, dif in the difficulties that are going on in America, would you come back and help us? I would take the plane as soon as I finished my engagements. All right, so that was Paul Robeson, and you heard what he said regarding um, the talent of the African Americans and Africans, people from the continent of Africa. Uh, here, American Negroes and Africans on the continent were very talented, and they were being unappreciated. And I see it as the exact opposite now. Uh, with the with Africans, both uh, Africans and African Americans here in the states, what we're finding is, and now we're being, we're still being underappreciated, but we're being over uh, overexposed. We're underappreciated because we dilute the talent pool with athletes, you know, athletes and. Uh, in the music area, you know, we dil we dilute it, we we dominate it, particularly sports, and even when it comes to uh, uh, soccer, Africans dominate. There are some some awesome, some of the most talented players are people of color, you know. And you look at it. I watched one of these soccer tournaments. I watched the fight for one year, and I saw how teams like Ghana were internationally renowned 
and how some of their players play with some of the top tier football leagues in the world and African talent uh, and those blacks from South America persons like Pele you know we learned about Pele because we didn't know exactly you know we just learned black history but then I realized black you know he was not from America <laughs> but he was from an entirely different continent not a different continent but his talent was what made him world famous and of course in the music genre we could go on and on with uh, persons on the world level from classical to uh, world music it, it's just many it's many wonderful things that we contribute to uh, now we are underappreciated ourselves we underappreciate ourselves you know we as as a collective do not you know, we don't support ourselves. You know, we buy, and I know some people are going to get mad at me, but I know more people who, who buy um, bootleg things than actually supporting, actually supporting an artist. You know, they don't go to the concerts, or if they do go to the concerts, you know, they, it's, it, it goes on and on. Uh, my, my point is, is that today African Americans have not we have not used that that big bump that we have called desegregation called the end of apartheid we have not used that as the aggregate force of empowerment we have not used that as a means of really changing our situation there are pockets where it's happening, but it's not as a collective, you know. And that's part of the problem, I believe, uh, is that we're not doing it as a collective. Uh, we don't think we... I personally think a lot of people still feel that they don't need it. A lot of people feel that they have no need to um, promote themselves as a people, part of the collective. They should do it individually where they can make money. And, you know, that is free market system working. But, you know, we still need to do better. All right, I'm going to take a quick break. Uh, and when we come back, we'll get into the topic of the day. And we're going to try to do bit. Uh, we're going to try to do as much as we can. Y'all just pray with us. <laughs> so we're going to take this break, and we'll be right back after this. It's our favorite, yours and mine, because we found it together on a walk, 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 love to walk, a long walk, a, a walk with you, a walk I smelled squirrels on, but I stayed by your side because I could tell, could feel that you had a bad day and me being bad wouldn't make it any better, but being there was already helping a little anyway, and then we found that wonderful thing waiting there, waiting for you and me. And you smiled and threw it. And I decided right when I picked it up, I would never, ever leave it anywhere. Ever. Because that wonderful, bouncy, roll-around thing had made you play. And that had made you smile. Put more play in your day. Beneful. Play. It's good for you.
help the Gulf recover and learn from what happened so we could be a better, safer energy company. I've been with BP for 24 years. I was part of the team that helped deliver on our commitments to the Gulf, and I can tell you, safety is at the heart of everything we do. We've added cutting-edge safety equipment and technology, like a new deep water well cap and a state-of-the-art monitoring center where experts watch over all our drilling activity 24-7. We're sharing what we've learned so we can all produce energy more safely. Safety is a vital part of BP's commitment to America and to the nearly 250,000 people who work with us here. We invest more in the U.S. than anywhere else in the world. Over $55 billion here in the last five years making BP America's largest energy investor. Our commitment has never been stronger. This is the Quicksilver Cashback card from Capital One. It's not the limit to cash I earn every month card. It's not the I only earn decent rewards at the gas station card. It's the no games, no signing up, everyday rewarding, kung fu fighting, silver lightning in a bottle, bringing home your bacon cashback card. This is the Quicksilver card from Capital One. Unlimited 1.5% cashback on every purchase, everywhere, every single day. So ask yourself, what's in your wallet? Those of you who've listened to my show uh, realize that uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, my computer crashed on me, and I had lost just, I thought I lost just about everything on my computer, all my important files and documents. But then I remembered that I had security. I had my files backed up automatically by Carbonite.com. Now, here's the good thing about Carbonite.com. They have the same encrypted technology that is used uh, for security, uh, e-commerce, transactions, all that stuff. They got it, right? And then they house it in state-of-art data centers that's guarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I wasn't worried because I knew my files were automatically backed up. And here's the good thing. I, I didn't have to worry about retrieving the media because I could access my files from any computer anywhere in the world. So if, if, if you, you feel like you're going to lose your stuff, I recommend Carbonite.com because that's the place to go. You don't have to worry about the cost either because they have a price for every budget you can imagine. Not only that, but if you go to that site today, you could get a 15-day free trial right now if you go in today. That's Carbonite.com for all your online backing needs. All they do is back up your files online. They don't do anything else. You can be guaranteed that all of your important documents, everything that you love on your computer will be safe and secure. Check them out today at Carbonite.com for your online backup. to zero today again i'm your humble host pastor lorenzo neal as stated before it is ask wednesday it is the beginning of the lenten season and there's a lot of people uh this morning uh i'm getting a lot of a lot of texts good morning and i uh not a lot but you know <laughs> it's a lot for me and i i replied by by saying you know, sending Ash Wednesday blessings. And a lot of people, uh, some of my homeboys who are Baptist preachers, were like, what exactly is Ash Wednesday? And I'm like, you should know, man. You're a preacher. You know, you're supposed to know the liturgical seasonal calendar. You know, you should be aware of that. And uh, I came up Baptist, you know, and I was introduced to the liturgical calendar, seasons, and, uh, you know, uh, ordinary, proper, all that stuff. I was exposed to all of that. And uh, because I taught at a Catholic school when I was teaching and I taught at a Catholic school, I was exposed to uh, different mass, you know, uh, and all of that stuff. And I expounded on that and I studied music and understood how music played a critical role in the Catholic mass. Uh, well, you know, before Vatican II. But anyway, so 
I explained to them what Ash Wednesday was, what Lent is, the season of Lent, the Lenten season, and how that 40 days in most uh, Catholic traditions, Roman Catholic, uh, Episcopal, and uh, those of us who are Methodists who observe it, this is a season of sacrifice. You give up something for 40 days, uh, you know, a little over six weeks, uh, leading up to Good Friday, leading up to that cultivating moment of the penance that Christ did himself, um, him being the pastoral lamb, the sacrificial lamb, the one who takes away the sins of the world. Um, so that's what it is. And in most traditions, people give up food, um, some type of food, and others give up habits. Others do acts of service for 40 days. Um, it, it really depends. But the whole point is for the individual during those 40 days to take take a means, take time to not focus on themselves, but focus on God. Now, Focusing on themselves would involve, uh, if they were to do so, um, developing spiritual habits or disciplines, as some uh, some people call them. And and uh, when you're fasting, it's devoting that time as, as a means of sacrificing. And, uh, you know, a lot of people actually only do it for 40 days, and then they pick right back up. In our Bible study yesterday afternoon, as we were discussing, uh, we had some wonderful testimonies from persons who decided that they were going to uh, take out something in their life, uh, it just something as simple as drinking sodas, eating candy, uh, something that they were, you know, they would usually be addicted to <laughs> or habitual, and they would, you know, sacrifice that for 40 days. And uh, we had several who said that because they did that, uh, the desire went away for certain items, certain things. Uh, uh, they did. Uh, one 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 young lady said, uh, you know, she stopped drinking sodas, cola altogether. It wasn't, in, you know, that was her commitment during Ash, during the Lent season, one some some years ago, and she has not. The Lord has enabled her not to have a desire or to drink you no know, soda whenever it's offered. Uh, we had another person who kicked the habit of smoking. Uh, they got they they said, well, that would be a good that would be a good time to stop smoking. And uh, the Lord has enabled them to be able to not I think it was four or five years now not smoke. And it's you know those kind of testimonies are reaffirming to me that not only is it is it a good thing to to lay down something to sacrifice something, but it also can be very beneficial. Uh, I, I try not to make you know try not to make the Lent season Ash Wednesday something superficial. Uh, but a lot of Christians do that. I, they, you know that's part of the problem. And I was reading this on a um, uh, the old church, the black church, old black church or something like that. I believe that's the name of the, Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Yeah, the old black church blog. Uh, you go there, you'll, feel, you'll find that the first article that comes up, uh, well, not the first article that comes up, but one of the first articles that comes up is about Ash Wednesday. <laughs> and the title is, Fix it, Jesus. Ask Wednesday for the sinners. And the question is, you know, uh, where are the Christians? Today is Ash Wednesday, which makes 40 days of Lent sacrifices beginning. And she poses the question, as, as I posed to all several of my colleagues today, uh, you know, some of my acquaintances, what are you giving up? What are you giving up? Why? And uh, <laughs> so a lot of, you know, most evangelical Christians do not observe uh, Ash Wednesday. And the question that she asks is, if Mardi Gras is all about partying and reverently, 
revelry, how in the world do you expect to survive 40 days after having to do so? And I ain't going to lie to you, you know, uh, one of the things that I was, I had said I was going to give up that I really need to for health reasons, uh, was very, 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 very tempting this morning. I love potato chips, salt, salt potatoes, Lay's potato chips, you name them. Any, just about any brands are Lay's. I love. Okay, and I had to finish off a bag yesterday. <laughs> I had to finish off a bag yesterday, so so that I could, you know, say I'm going to give it up for ass, you know, for Lent. And I looked at the garbage can and I saw I had two bags because I bought two big bags, knowing that I was, you know, I know I was. So the challenge is high in the world. Am I going to live up to to that? And I'm surrounded by, you know, I go to Walmart and you go check out the counter. You're going to see those big, nice bags of chips. <laughs> but, and, and, and so that's, I, I wanted to do the segment to help help give a grasp on what, what Ash Wednesday, what Lenten season should be about. It should be about developing an intimate, a deeper, more relevant, intimate relationship with God. And so I'm proposing a couple of things that I think, spiritual disciplines that I think will help you. If you're going to observe Lent, if you're going to give up something, you need to replace that. You know, you need to have a balanced life spiritually, physically, emotionally. You need to be balanced. You don't just need to, you know, just cut some off and never have something to offset that. You know, you want to trade. You want to do a nice trade off. And and my proposed, my my thing is, if you're going to do a trade off, make sure it's something as renewing, reviving, and refreshing for you. You don't just want to do something. So, uh, I'm going to build some. Some uh, spiritual disciplines. Some of I, some I have practiced, uh, and some I think would be very, very beneficial to you. Um, and I'm drawing some of this from uh, a source. I think every, every, I think it would be very beneficial for you. It's called uh, the God of Intimacy and Action. It's by Dr. Tony Campolo and uh, Mary Albert Darling. It's a wonderful book. We we got this book at a uh, pastor, a clergy revival, I mean clergy retreat uh, several years ago. We were discussing the issue of social justice. And we we found a nice correlation between developing the persons who develop themselves spiritually. That outpours, that, that spiritual development outpours and transcends anything else and is expressed mostly through social action and social justice. Those persons who are deeperly, more deeper connected carry out the works of the Lord. We, the Sunday school lesson uh, this past Sunday came from Matthew chapter 25 and the latter verses I think from verse 31 down to the end, 49 or something like that. But it gives us Jesus gives a a parable, but not really a parable. But he he he, he gives allegory to the persons who will be condemned and not condemned, rewarded and condemned. Uh, the ones who will get a reward, and those who will be cast into outer darkness, eternal fire. Now I'm not saying that it means hell. It has been interpreted. To be that, but you know that's that's not clear. So I'm not even going to that theological argument. But from a from the perspective of service, which is how it's been taught, this particular idea of the sheep and the goat being separated uh, is a, is more about serving and and rewards, serving the kingdom of God and being rewarded for such. It says those who are rewarded are the ones who fed. Uh, fed the hungry, clothed the sick, clothed the naked, visited the sick, visited those in prison. You know, 
and Christ said, uh, they asked, well, when did we do it? He said, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Um, and, and and so, the deeper, the more relevant your relationship is, the more intimate your relationship with, is with the Creator. Uh, when you renounce the hidden things of darkness and of believe and of the world and the flesh, you find that you have a greater awareness of what God means by justice and a greater sense of act, action, uh, just action. So in this book, and, and I've applied some of these things, uh, uh, Dr. Um, Darling writes about holy habits. And one of the holy habits, and she, she gives, you know, she says, uh, holy habits are things that uh, should be done regularly. And this is what she said. She, uh, she is, we call them spiritual disciplines. She calls them holy habits. And it was, uh, it was popular during these, these disciplines were really popular during, uh, medieval times and Christian and Western Christian, uh, but it's not as popular today and many people don't practice. And those, there are those who, who say practicing such is, is, uh, Gnostic. Or, or demonic, you know. I say anything that draws you closer and helps you develop a more meaningful relationship between God and yourself and others is well worth it. And we ought to follow the summary of the Decalogue to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Then we realize that if God is giving and loving and just and faithful and love, you know, all this stuff and merciful, then it requires the same on ourselves, on our parts toward ourselves and toward others. But anyway, this is what she says. Um, uh, most people have negative energy, uh, spiritual practice because they, we define them too narrowly. A certain idea comes in mind, and for whatever reason, the idea is very appealing. But uh, holy habits or spiritual practice is anything that is done intentionally, done over time with regularity, done with the goal of being formed into Christ's likeness and done with the result or the fruit of growing in love for God and others. Do you understand? Did you hear what I just said? Done intentionally, done regularly, done with the goal of being like Christ, Christ-like, and done with the fruit of growing in love for God and others. Now, who wouldn't want to have such a kind of life, uh, and, and the buzzword now is being spiritual. We're finding a lot of young, a lot of people don't, you know. And I say this too: I'm not religious. Uh, I don't like being grouped into the religious cause. You know, I am not religious. Religious is system, is systemic, and it's oppressive because. Religion involves, uh, you know, being bound. And some people use the term spiritual as a means of saying, well, we're not bound to any particular liturgical or dogmatic structure or function. And that that's a good thing, you know. That's a good thing. I, I, I'm Methodist, and I enjoy functioning within the... Uh, schematic of the Methodist liturgy. I think uh, particularly the African American African Methodist Episcopal Church, the liturgy and the call to worship I think fits you know my ministry. I can't say for anyone else. Um but for a lot of people, you know, they just want to be spiritual. They don't want they want to be disconnected yet connected. And there's it's, it's, there's some there's some liberation in that, but you also have to have some kind of connection. Um, and those nine times out of ten, the people who say they are spiritual have no spiritual habits. They have no spiritual discipline. They're just saying that because they don't want to be affiliated with some type of religious institution. And I can understand that. But what I'm talking about, and what I'm trying to get, I want you to focus on, is moving beyond that schematic. 
beyond the boundaries of religion because you know this this really isn't a Christian thing. It really isn't. It's a, it, when you're talking about being one with God, loving God, and loving others, it, it transcends the religion of Christianity. And a lot of people, when we hear this, say, and I'm going to have a guest coming on in a uh, few weeks, and uh, we'll be talking more about uh, you know deeper mystical side, not just the Christian faith. And I've, we, I've talked about this before. And uh, last year, during the season, uh, Easter season, we, we we delved in it. But I think a lot of people still don't have that that connection. A lot of people are still misinformed about what they can do, what they can't do, what they should do, what they should not do. And I'm all about empowering. So let's 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 get on into this here. What are some What are some Disciplines that you can do that will help you uh, move from being self-aware to God-aware. What are some things that you could do intentionally, regularly, that will make you more Christ-like and develop the fruit of loving God and loving others? These are some things that uh, I'll do. Um, the prayer of examine. Now, prayer of examine, most of us, we we have an idea about this, but what basically is, the prayer of examine is basically reflecting on your actions for the day. You, you're aware that you did something. You may have aggrieved someone. You may have, you may not have reacted uh, to to the Holy Spirit in some way. Uh, these are things that uh, helps you during the prayer that you 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 discuss during the prayer or you address in the prayer examine. Um, this was the prayer examine. I think probably the most famous person is this Saint Ignatius, who developed. Something to this, you know, is is really carried out, really, really. If, if uh, Jesuits, Carmelites, uh, and these are uh, these are monastic movements in the Catholic Roman Catholic Church, but they have mastered these arts, these disciplines, especially the Jesuit. Um, and of course, the current Pope is a Jesuit priest. Uh, but the Holy Spirit. Helps us to uh, helps us to understand that you know during the day we do so much that we forget that we sin against God and others, not just by actions but by thoughts, word, and deed. We sin against others. Now we may not recognize that. Intent. Again, this is this is this is when you when you're going through this. You're intentionally seeking to find what you have done, and the Holy Spirit can help bring you aware um, that you may have done it. That's the prayer of examining. And you basically, um, you become aware that you're not really living out the freedom in Christ. You're not really uh, Christ-like every day. And so, at the, you know, before you go to bed, you just allow time to sit and, and quiet and then be being allow yourself to kind of reflect on your day and then you confess those things that now that's not the exact model uh, to do it that, you know I wouldn't say there's an exact model but that's one way to do it um but you need to you know in doing that you take you know, you'll, you'll experience the emotions you know some song can be kind of intense but uh that's one way to do it. Uh, another spiritual discipline, uh, Lectio Divina, uh, which is divine reading. And that is uh, allowing the, the word to speak to you. You read through scripture. You meditate intensely on scripture. 
allow the scripture to speak to you. Now, there are a lot of critics of that. Um for, for whatever reason. But the task uh, the task is for you to be able to listen to the Holy Spirit. If you treasure the word of God, like the, uh, the psalmist right, uh, hidden your word in my heart so I won't sin against you. Uh, that's Psalm 119. I, I forgot what verse. See the, no, 10, I think, 10 or 11, somewhere in there. Uh, or meditating on his precepts. Again, if you read through Psalm 119, you, you get an idea of what Lectio Divinity is about. Allowing the word of God not only to just be read as sacred literature, but to be read as uh, fresh revelation, meaning that just as you are reading it, it is able to speak to you and, and empower you to be a bolder Christian, be a bolder believer. Uh, now, the best way to do this, of course, you want to make sure that you are uh, able to be in tune with the Spirit of God. How you do that, I cannot, you know, that's an individual thing, but... You want to meditate on it. You want to reflect on the reading. You want to then respond to the reading um, in some way. You know, write it down. Um, when you're meditating, it's just simply chewing over it, chewing over it, allowing your mind, allowing it to saturate your thoughts, and then you know, the last thing is to respond to it. Um, and I personally like uh, the way um, uh, that is mentioned here, responding to it by taking the word with you. You know, letting that word go through and stay with you throughout the day, throughout the week. You know, and then it, it, it's carried out through the, acts, the various acts that you will do, compassion, contemplation, in operation, or in the Latin contemplatio, compassio, and oratio, operatio. Um, and this last one is what I have practiced for some years, and it's been very beneficial for me. When I say very, very beneficial, this has probably been the most spiritually emboldening spiritual discipline that I have practiced, and that is centering prayer. And centering prayer is slightly different from uh, uh, the prayer of examine, because in the prayer of examine, again, you're you're intentionally reflecting on your day, intentionally trying to you know get yourself in order in line with the Lord. But in contemplative prayer, centering prayer, you're taking away from yourself. It's all about God. It's all about the spirit empowering. It's all about the spirit moving. Centering prayer is probably the most difficult thing to do because it takes discipline. And what I mean to say discipline, it takes a lot of discipline because you're, for me, my my means of doing it is in silent prayer. You're sitting in, in silence and um, stillness and you're clearing your mind, you're you're waiting on God, uh, you're abiding in His, uh, you have an abiding awareness of, of His presence, of His power, His thought, His word, and all of that. You, you know, and in centering prayer, you, you're yielding to the presence of God within yourself. You're deferring to God. You're waiting and you're surrendering and you're waiting to hear the voice of God speaking, leading, empowering. Um, there are different ways of doing that. Some, some um, you know, teach focusing on a word. Some teach focusing on an image. Uh, some use a prayer labyrinth and I've I've done the labyrinth. Um walking in the labyrinth uh 
and using that as a means of, of centering yourself, centering your, uh, you know, being quiet, just tuning out the environment. But either way, it's really challenging, and it's hard to do. Um, I use this in my therapy as mindfulness. It's, it's, it's a form of mindfulness therapy, actually. Mindfulness, ah, uh, oh, jeez, it's a lot that uh, Cabazon, I think that's his name. Uh, oh, man, I can't even think of the guy. Uh, uh, mindfulness techniques. Is the it, it is a form uh, of that. Some would argue that it is that. Uh, it, it is basically the Christianized version uh, of that. Well, however you choose to see it, uh, John Cabot-Zahn, Zen. I think that's the name. Anyway. And for me, when I when I go through this technique, I have a specific place that I I, I go to regularly. Again, this, this is intentional. This is uh, regular, and those are the two most critical parts uh, for for this spiritual discipline. And you know you you don't have to do it. You know I've I've the Lord has blessed me to be able to go for long periods of time in centered prayer. Stillness, you know, being able to distract down. Sometimes I, I got ADHD. Sometimes I can't go two minutes. <laughs> I mean, five minutes. But, you know, again, it takes discipline to be able to do that, to be able to sit still and quiet and center yourself. Uh, but if you can't, you know, it, it, you know, set yourself, get your timer and set yourself. You don't, and, and again, in this particular prayer, this, this spiritual discipline, you don't say anything. You are not praying, per se, you know, out loud. But you are being still and allowing the soul, your soul to do the praying for you. You're allowing the soul to commute and connect with the spirit, the divine, and in that you are being empowered because once the body is out the way, once the mind gets settled and centered and, you know, the distractions uh, are removed, then you can sense the presence of the Lord. And when you come out of there, you have a great sense, a greater sense of awareness of the experience. And I, those are things, those are just three. And those are the ones that I have practiced in one state of my Christian journey. And I think those are, I think those are good, simple ones to start with. Uh, the examine the prayer of examine simply before you go to bed, you know, take this moment, designate a place where you can just sit still and reflect and then pray. You know, if you prayer, prayer confession, whatever it may be, that, that that's that. Reading, divine reading, getting to the getting in the scripture and allowing the scripture to speak to you. Now that don't mean just reading the, you know, you know, you you don't do that reading through a whole chapter, you know, almost kind of like, you know, uh, exegetical in nature, line by line, precept upon precept, kind of, that's how you do that, and allowing the scripture to speak to you, and and through you, empowering you to carry it out, you know, again, that's the contemplating, that is the, uh, that's the commenting, that, uh, um, and uh, operating, going out. Um, and with the centering prayer, just being still. And now, mind you, there are other very, very good spiritual disciplines that you can do. You know, if you want to do yoga, if you want to do Tai Chi, and all of these things are about connecting to the divine. That's what it's about. This is what Lent is about. Lent is about connecting to the divine, renewing and being refreshed to carry out the work of the divine that... You know, he, he, he appreciates it. So, I hope you enjoyed the show. I, um, I kind of perked up at the end. But anyway, we'll be back next week with another great show. The Lord wills. We'll have some others. we got some great guests coming up in March that we're looking forward to. And as the day goes forth, if you're going to get your ashes, go do so. But make sure, make sure 
that as you go forth in Lent, you do it with the heart and mind of God and of God.